It's great to welcome you all to this update impact call. Um, we're really lucky to have Cheryl joining us, Cheryl Spain from the Gift Collective. She's going to be sharing in a little bit. Um, but just before we do that, I know some of you may be new to the calls. So I always like to give a bit of a grounding as to what this is and why we're here. <laughs> um, I think that's always important to do. Um, so the calls really began um, way, way back in the first lockdown. Um, and it's hard to believe we're, you know, it's now a couple of years ago, isn't it? Um, and it was a chance to come together and connect around uh, what I call the impact sector or the for purpose sector. And so started, I thought there'd be like three or four people joining and it ended up that first call, there was similar to this, like about 20 people. Um, and it's a chance to hear from somebody that you may not have met yet, but who is also doing some good work somewhere in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, and also just a chance, I like to send people to breakout rooms towards the end, just as a chance to get to know somebody else, because sometimes these sorts of sessions can become a little bit too like watching the television, you know, like I want it to be a little bit interactive, a chance to get to know somebody else as well. Um, so that's kind of the background to how they began. And um, I think it's really important because too often I end up talking with other lawyers because I'm naturally, you know, working in a law firm, who am I meeting? And I think these sorts of things um, are chances to download and hear different perspectives. So we might get somebody from a youth charity or somebody who's an entrepreneur, or we might get an accountant, or we might get somebody else there's a chance to come together and hear different perspectives and um, learn from each other. Because ultimately, if we can collaborate, if we can be challenged by each other, then we're gonna have much better outcomes. So um, it's great to welcome you all to this call. And then the last thing before we jump into Cheryl is I did do an episode of Seeds called For Profit or For Purpose. And I posted on LinkedIn, and I think it's gotten probably the most comments on any post I've ever done. It's up to about 70 comments of people with various views of, should we use the terminology of not-for-profit? Should we use the terminology of for-purpose? To, to summarize the whole thing, I'm kind of moving more towards using the terminology of for purpose instead of not for profit and the the reason for that is i think words do matter how we describe sectors matter and if you start your phrasing with what you're not you know it's just it's it's we're not for profit like and then the second part for profit why is it framed by reference to profit and whether you're generating profit so I think a, maybe a more helpful term would be for purpose as an umbrella term that, that embraces not just charities or registered charities, but potentially also businesses, which are for purpose as well. So I just throw it out there. I wanted to give you that thought um, here on this call, maybe gets people thinking. Um, that's what I'm trying to do with my posts and get you thinking about, oh, that's, you know, I agree, I don't agree. Um, so I wanted to throw that out and I'll put a link to the episode once I hand over to Cheryl so you can have a, a read. It's I did it by comparison to Star Trek, which was just a hook that makes hopefully it more interesting than just a 
post about not-for-profit and for-purpose. So having um, given you a couple updates from my end, um, I would love to hand over to Cheryl. And Cheryl, I, I'm not going to introduce you very much, apart from saying we've known each other several years now, and I've really looked at what you're doing. Um, the Gift Trust has a unique, I think quite a unique approach and um, is a means for people to be benefiting others. Uh, so I'm going to let you explain it and then maybe tell us what you're seeing. And I know you've got some slides you can share. So thank you. I'm going to hand over to you now. Thanks, Stephen. Kia ora koutou. Ko Cheryl Spain toko ingoa. And thanks, Stephen, for that intro. Um, I read your Star Trek-inspired blog with great interest. Love the Trek analogy. I work with a bunch of Trekkies, so um, it amused them no end. <laughs> and for what it's worth, I, uh, I do agree for purpose as a, a really good way to describe the sector. You might notice in my slides, actually, when I'm talking about the gift trust, we tend we tend to use the word um, charitable causes more just because that's who we are working with mostly. Um, but actually for purpose is a term that we're starting to use more. Anyway, uh, hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, Stephen asked me to, to do this to explain a little bit about the gift trust and what we do in the for purpose space and how we work with um, other entities. And I'm also going to talk a little bit about our, our sort of side project that we, we run called Gift Collective, very similar sounding name. I'll explain um, both. And I think there's a lot of connections um, with some of you here today. I see some friendly faces on the call today, which is nice. Some of you will know us a little bit and, and some won't. So hopefully you'll get something out of this. i um, love to hear questions as well. I'm just going to share my screen so that I can show you um, my, uh, hopefully I can do this, show you my slides. Bear with me a sec. Okay. So um, I've been running the Gift Trust uh, for about five years now. We are a uh, not-for-profit um, entity ourselves. We are a, um, a funder uh, and we help um, our donors to distribute their funding in a way that they can uh, get funding to good causes more easily and more effectively. Are you able to see this? Yep. Perfect. Great. I just couldn't get there in time. Thank you, everybody. Uh, so this is us. Um, I'm just going to talk today about what the Gift Trust is uh, our model of giving is called donor-advised giving, so I'm going to touch on what that means. It's not a term that we use here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, very often. And essentially what we do at the Gift Trust is we help um, our donors to distribute funding to charitable organisations, but we also help those organisations to receive funding and to work in a better way with our donors. Um, and we also run the side project, which I mentioned, um, which helps charitable entities get up and running quickly. So I'll touch on that. So we've been around um, since 2009, and essentially we run four key services. Um, we run what we call gift accounts, and, and the best way to think of it is for our donors, it's like having a bank account for their charitable giving. So essentially what our donors can do is they can open a gift account, put funding into it that they want to distribute to charitable causes, and then we help them get it out the door efficiently and easily but we also provide a lot of advice and guidance. We provide philanthropic advice, best practice support and research into entities that meet our donors' um, charitable brief. Um, 
So essentially what they do is they set the money aside and then they um, work with us on a strategy to distribute it. And when I talk about donors, uh, what I mean by that is we have individuals, families and companies who set up gift accounts or other entities, in fact. So I see that we've got Rose um, Chalice here today on the call and Rose runs her Terra Nova Foundation, for example, through the gift trust. So other entities that have um, that are funding distributors might use us because we're a, a mechanism that's already set up. The facility is already there. It saves people from having to set up their own um, grant-making charitable trust and become a registered charity. They can sit under our umbrella. And what I like to say is that we do all the boring bits of the admin and distribution for them and the fund holding, whilst they get the joy and the benefit of giving and deciding who to give to. So we take away some of those burdens for donors. Um, the other thing that we run is collaborative funds, and they're creating sort of communities of givers, if you like. So um, our collaborative funds are a way that perhaps a group of like-minded people might come together and want to co-fund an initiative. Uh, one example of this is um, a fund which is called the Carbon Critical Fund, and it was set up by two people originally who put the initial tranche of money into it, but then they opened it up to the public and they support climate a wide variety of climate change entities. But what it means is all the people that buy into this ethos can pull their funding together and then we distribute it on their behalf to the causes that they choose. And we run the Gift Collective as the fourth um, part of our service, which is a fund holding service for charitable entities, which I'll touch on at the end. So in terms of options for giving available to donors here in New Zealand, obviously donors can just give directly to charitable causes or for-purpose entities. Um, but when people start giving at a high level, they often will set up a private foundation or a grant-making trust. Or the third option is they can give through an intermediary like us at the Gift Trust. Now, in New Zealand, there's been quite a tendency to set up um, a private foundation or a grant-making trust in the past. And in fact, I think the last time I checked, we had about... 5,000 or so of those entities in New Zealand, which just seems inefficient to me. And so that's kind of why we exist at the Gift Trust is all of these organizations that are being set up, you know, they're running their own accounts, they've um, got a, a lawyer to do their trust deed, they're having to register with the charity services um, or do all their compliance and due diligence. It's kind of ineffective. So what we are is we're an umbrella entity which does all that for them. This is how our model works. We call it a gift grow grant model. So as I said, they can set up a named gift account. Um, they can fund it uh, how often, uh, as regularly as they like. Some donors start with a big lump sum. Uh, others put money in regularly. We are designed uh, for larger donors. So we are designed for people that are giving away generally speaking, tens of thousands of dollars, um, but our limit, our starting point at the moment is $5,000. Uh, we have a really wide range of donors. We have some donors who have several millions with us. Um, we have others that have tens of thousands, so it's quite a range. Then the concept is that um, those funds can grow whilst they've been gifted into a gift account. We're the charitable entity, but we also invest it ideally for growth. And that means they can give more to charity over time, which is one of the real benefits of it. And then we grant it out and the donors retain the choice over that, but we can give them a lot of guidance and support. 
So the benefits um, of the gift trust really, as I mentioned, is that we can handle the admin, the due diligence, we check all the charitable entities to make sure they are legally um, charitable. Um, we can give genuinely impartial advice. We try and advise our donors on best practice um, giving. Um, some of that, for example, includes things like we encourage donors to give to general operating expenses rather than tagged um, funding, which for full-purpose entities can tie them up in a lot of loops and hurdles that they have to go through. We have a very light-touch reporting process for the charitable entities, which also helps. Um, donors can get tax credits when they give to the gift trust up front, um, but then they can make the gifts out whenever they like. So that can be quite a benefit for people. For example, um, people who are selling a business or doing some sort of large taxable um, income stream at the moment, they know they want to give to charity and they haven't quite decided who. So it's actually useful for them to put a tranche of funding in now and then gift it out over time. Um, we can give to a really wide variety of causes. Our setup means that we don't have to give to just registered charities. We can give to non-registered charities. We can give to social enterprises. Essentially, we need to prove charitable purpose, which is the legal test. And if we can prove that and do the due diligence, we can gift to it. Um, donors can also remain anonymous if they want to. And we do have some donors that do that. But that is not a sort of, um, you know, slightly dubious thing. It's genuinely people who are quite humble um, and quiet about their gifting. We often tend to attract donors who kind of don't like their name up in lights, but they're quite humble and they'd like to shine a spotlight on the causes that they support. And so through us, they can give anonymously if they want to. Um, and also collaborative funds, as I mentioned, allow people to pool donations together. So that's another benefit of, of us. And um, for the people on this call, I just thought I'd touch on this slide, which um, talks about how we work and how we try to work with the causes that we support. So we are a proactive funder. We don't have an application process, and that's because our donors choose who to support. Um, but we do research into the end causes that meet our donors' briefs. Um, so we do quite a significant amount of research for some donors, and we're out there in the charity and community sector speaking to people. We really try and reduce the admin burden on the organisations that our donors support. So we don't ask organisations to provide a lot of cumbersome paperwork or application forms. We really try and keep it as simple as possible, including reporting requirements. We have very simple grant agreements. We ask for simple report backs and only for donations over $10,000. Anything under that, we don't ask for a report back, just a simple um, acknowledgement that the gift has been received. Um, as I said before, we educate donors about best practice. And some of the examples of that are we really encourage donors to make multi-year commitments if they are able to, to the organizations they support. We encourage them to gift to general operating costs. And we are really talking quite a lot about um, the power dynamics that are inherent in philanthropy and encouraging our donors to sort of break those down and to, to actually have relationships um, to get to know the organizations they support and try and fund them in a fairly high trust model. That's, that, that's our goal. And very lastly, um, I just wanted to touch on our project called Gift Collective. It has a similar name to us, 
uh, but we run it in partnership with another entity that you may have heard of called Open Collective. So you can see what we've done there. We've just uh, taken the two parts of our names and smushed them together. It confuses everybody. We may have to rename it. But essentially, you can think of this as the opposite side of what we do for donors. So Gift Collective um, is a fund-holding um, uh, entity set up to allow charitable startups, really, or unregistered charitable entities to get up and running quickly. So what it means is a, a volunteer project or a charitable project um, that doesn't even have, say it's a group of people who are working on a, a conservation initiative, they don't have a bank account yet, they haven't become incorporated, and they're just trying, they've, they want to apply for a grant, but they haven't got kind of official status. So it allows us to auspice an organisation like that. Um, it allows them to operate under our bank account, under our charitable status. We can, um, we can receive donations from grant makers, from individual donors, and in fact, from a whole range of people who are seeking to fund the project under one really cool platform. So our partners, Open Collective, provide the web platform. I've put the web address here in the slide. It's giftcollective.nz. Um, if you go there, you can see examples of pages, uh, web pages of some of the collectives that we auspice. It allows these entities to raise funding. We provide all the receipts automatically. Um, and then they can put even put updates and things on their page. It's a little bit like having a crowdfunding page as well, but it's also like an accounting software. When they want to spend the money, they then submit their receipts or invoices and we pay the money out um, to whoever, whoever they need to pay it to. Um, it gives them charitable status so grant makers can, can give the funding uh, into that entity. And it's all set up in a really transparent web page. We charge fees to cover our costs. They're currently 8%, but we're willing to um, have conversations with people for large projects that covers the accounting, the receipting, the website platform, compliance and auditing, et cetera. Um, so spread the word if you know people that are looking for something like this. Um, we often say it's, it's when organisations are getting up and running, it's not always worthwhile going down the road of um, trying to get set up as a registered charity in the beginning. Obviously, this isn't for everybody. Organisations that are going to become large will probably want to do that in time. But we're finding a lot of uh, organisations that come to the Gift Collective are ones who perhaps are time limited. So maybe they're running a project for a year. It's not worth them getting set up and going through all those hoops um, if your project's just um, something that's going to be over in a year. Sometimes organisations come to us and get set up in the beginning with us, and then in time they will set up their own registered charity, in which case we can gift the funds out to that registered charity. So it can be a temporary mechanism. Um, and uh, we have a very simple application process. That's quite an easy process to go through. We just have to prove charitable benefit. Happy to talk to anybody about that as well later on. Those are all the things I was going to run through today. Thanks for having me, really happy to take any questions, Stephen, or to um, do that in the breakout room, whatever's easier. I'll just stop the share. Great. No, thank you. Well, that's the, the point of the call is that some of us uh, wouldn't have known about it. So now they, that we've got the um, the download from you on what you're doing, what your cup is, 
the type of organization that you're um, supporting. It's really good. Um, we we know that we know how to use the chat because at the start we were putting in what the weather was like where we are. So feel free, anybody can type something in the chat if you've got a question for Cheryl, or if you want to come off of um, mute and ask it in person, and that's fine too. Um, I see Brina's put there. That's so exciting. I've been looking at trying to start a new program. I've been trying to resolve how to receive funding for the startup costs. So there you go. Maybe there's right. a connection come that can be made there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Cheryl, because at some point, at some point you do probably need to set up your own entity. You know, like yeah. I understand at the early stages that it's not necessarily easy. It is difficult and all those things. There's some costs involved. But at what point does it become like actually... Yeah, is there, I guess everyone is different, but at mm. some point, if you're employing two or three people, if you've got lots and lots of funds washing through, yeah. there must be a point where you say, well, actually, this doesn't really fit under what we're trying to do, which is to support the early stage. It's now probably appropriate for you to take the next step. And because one of the things that I've noticed is that I know it sounds strange, but the moment a group has a website and it has an identity, it does kind of shift the conversations from being it's two or three of us and we've got an idea to being, oh, visit our website and here's what we're doing. And so I'm just curious, how do you manage that or what are your thoughts on when that time is? Yeah, that is a really good question. It is quite individual. It does depend on the entity and the organization and what they're doing and also the people involved. So in the beginning, when we set up Gift Collective, I think we envisaged that it would be for fairly small entities. And when we talk about small, we originally were thinking it might be for organizations that have, say, less than $50,000 going through in terms of transactions. Um, we sort of put a dollar figure on it. Turns out that actually we've we have had some entities which are much, much bigger than that and have quite large sums of money going through. Um, we've just onboarded uh, one fairly recently that's um, they've already got grant commitments in the first year of around uh, half a million dollars, which was a surprise to us. But the reason they want to go through us in that particular case is it's a time-bound project. So as I mentioned, I think for some organ or for some groups which are addressing a particular project or a thing which will complete in a certain amount of time, it definitely makes sense to sit under a fiscal host or a fund holder like us. Um, in terms of size, I do think once entities are employing people as paid employees, that probably takes them into a different round. At the moment, we haven't set up Gift Collective where we um, can take on board employee relationships. So it's only designed for entities which are paying, say, contractors. We can pay people for work that they do, but we can't employ people. However, having said that, we've just received a grant. We just found out yesterday that we've received a grant from DIA to employ a, um, or have a, a contractor come work with us for a short time to do some HR um, work and to see whether we can set up Gift Collective in future, which would allow people who are employing people to come under our umbrella. So it's kind of hard to say exactly what the point is, but I, at which somebody would become a registered charity or go for their own status. I don't know that the website thing makes a huge difference. A lot of our causes at the moment, the sit under us also have their own websites. It's probably about number of people that they would be looking to employ. 
and size and scale. And I think once they're taking on board large grants that are maybe getting up to the several hundred thousand dollars, that's the sort of point where sometimes they'll be looking to set up their own thing. Um, but everyone's different. And for some entities, they just love having another organization that's doing all the accounting, the admin. They want to focus on their core purpose. That's not their bag. That's not their skill set. So for those ones, probably we're still a good solution as well. Yeah. No, it's good. Well, that was why I asked you to come on because I wanted to raise the awareness so that people know that there are different options and things. Um, Brian's put a, a good question here. How does our charity get researched? Um, Brian, maybe are you meaning um, as a potential receiver of funding or are you meaning to be part of this group? Does... Uh, can you hear me, Stephen? Yep. Yeah. Um... As, as a receiver of funds, um, sure. maybe if I can just elaborate very quickly. Um, so our core purpose is to stop children being abused and killed. And as my uh, overseas colleague says, who can be against that, right? Um, and nobody is, but we do not receive uh, much in the way of donations for our operating costs. We are established, we have two trusts. Um, one of them carries the operating costs because it's focused on New Zealand. The other one does the overseas giving and we have overseas donee status. So we have all of the, the criteria, the, the legal criteria at least anyway, um, but one of the challenges for us, and I think it's probably pretty common for organizations who are sending funds overseas, is that it's difficult to get across to donors that if you fund the engine room, you actually fund the capability of the organization to do more good. Um, the kind of response from the average donor, if I may use that term, is, hey, well, I don't want to contribute to your operating costs. I want the money to go overseas to where it's being used. And, and that's a significant issue for a lot of organizations like ours. Mm. Mm. All right. Cheryl, any thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks, Brian. That, that is um, frustrating, isn't it? I feel I hear that uh, as well and um, occasionally feel your frustrations on that side. I think um, all I can say to that is that we, we and I think we also are noticing a trend amongst the funding community um, and individual donors to try and understand that operational costs are really important and mm. actually it's not a waste to fund organisations' operational costs and the back-end kind of stuff. It used to be seen as sort of unsexy, you know, mm. funding. They want all their money to go overseas to do this, but actually if you don't fund the engine room, you don't have a, you don't have a project. So that's something we try and educate our donors about and I think others are as well. So um, keep up the good work and hopefully that message is starting to get through. And in terms of researching... Um, organizations we we do it in a vast uh, range of ways great to hear a, about your organization um, but we're essentially we're using things like um, the charity services database we're speaking to other funders we're speaking to sort of sector experts so if we were asked by a donor to research into um, a particular field 
we have kind of a range of sector experts, so somebody in the health sector, somebody in education, somebody in international development, we would often go and speak to them and find out who's doing what and then go and speak to the individual entities. Um, so it's kind of a range of ways. In New Zealand, it's tricky because we don't, you know, have the best um, databases. I think I saw that Anika from Match is here today. Yeah, she is. So Match is this new database. You should get on it if you're not, which is set up for um, funders, fun, funders like us to go on and proactively find organizations that are seeking funding. Highly recommend that um, to all of you to get on, on to Match, put your profile up of your organization. Um, so there's a number of ways that we do research, but yeah, we're trying to do best practice research. Mm. Thanks. That's great. Thank you. Um, Peter's put a question in there about anti-money laundering. Maybe you can have a look at that. While you look at it, um, Anika, if you're you're on here, would you mind saying something about Match? I know that's putting you on the spot, but <laughs> it would. I think it would be helpful because part of the purpose of the calls is to collaborate. And if I hear about something, it's like, oh, well, the person's here. Let's just have a just a short, you know, the elevator pitch version of what it is that you're doing. Um, that would be awesome. And maybe you can look at the question that Peter's put there, Cheryl, while Anika's doing that. Oh, thank you. Um, so I'm Anika with Match Tumunatorite. So we're an initiative of Philanthropy New Zealand. And it was set up really to try and help address some of the power imbalances and inequities in the funding system. So it's an online platform where funders can register, create a profile, and they can also um, oversee fund seekers that at the moment it was open originally for registered charities however we are and when talking to particularly like um, with the gift collective um, organizations that are not registered charities but fall under a fund holder and how they can actually be put a profile on the website um, talk all about yourself share your story um, share your impact and as well as put up funding requests which enables funders to then have a look and see who you are what you're doing and um, reach out and contact you to enable that discussion to ultimately fund. And also um, gives you an opportunity to get your, your profile in front of all sorts of different funders as well um, for different operations. So we sort of launched about two months ago now. So it's just live, very new. So I can share the, um, the link in the, the chat as well that we can actually go to, to jump on board. Um, we are holding uh, a separate um, workshop next Thursday. Um, where you can actually just half an hour, we're just going to demo, demonstrate the platform, go through the platform and show you through it and answer questions and answers as well. So if anyone is interested, um, you can jump on board and have a look at that as well. So cool. um, thank you very much. It's definitely easy to find because I found it while you were talking and put it oh, in the okay. chat. <laughs> so <laughs> there there's proof of, of how accessible it is. That's awesome. Um, so back to you, Cheryl. Did you have a thought on, um, I think Peter is asking about yeah. AML. Yeah, so Peter was asking about um, whether we are uh, having to comply with the anti-money laundering legislation. Um, in short, we don't, but we do a lot around the sides of it. So we're not, because we are, we are a registered charity ourselves, and so when donors give a donation to us or into their gift account, it's an irrevocable donation. So we're not classed as a financial institution. We're not holding funds on behalf of others. Legally, those funds become ours. Um, although we follow the wishes of donors generally and how they want to distribute them out as long as it is charitable. So we don't have to formally comply with the anti-money laundering legislation, which is rather wonderful because I hear it's pretty onerous. <laughs> but um, we do do a lot of work on 
source of funds. So particularly, um, for, well, for large donations, essentially for any large donation, we um, we know our donor, get to know our donors, and we um, document kind of source of funds um, just so that we have some basic documentation around where funding has come from and so that we're compliant and, and not um, making sure that anyone is uh, putting funding you know, from dubious sources and sort of money laundering activities um, through us. That's, That's great. Does that and answer sure. your question, Peter? Yep, he's nodding. I had, I had a question, Cheryl. Do you think that this sort of setup, or particularly the term donor-advised funds as an example, is it more commonly used like in the UK or the US or other jurisdictions? And maybe we're just, you know, in New Zealand coming up to speed with that as a concept? Yeah, so donor-advised funds is a really common term in the States. Almost everyone there knows what that means. Um, in the UK, where I worked for a long time, it's also fairly regularly um, used as, as, a, as a concept. So the idea of donor-advised as in the donor is advising where these funds should be distributed, but they don't have a legal right to make us donate to those things. So that's why we can get around this, or not get around, but that's why essentially... Um, we are a, a registered charity ourselves and can, can legally hold the funds and we follow their wishes where we can. Uh, it's just not a term that's used much here. We don't even tend to use it ourselves. So we call them gift accounts and sort of the description that I used earlier on, which, which I think probably explains to people a little bit better how it works. It's a fairly new concept in New Zealand, but it's really taking off. Um, so to give you an idea of kind of how much it's taking off just with us, and we're still a fairly small entity ourselves in this space, but when I um, joined, we had about, uh, which was about coming out six years ago, we had around uh, $4 million of funds under management. We currently have about $36 million of funds under management. Um, that's partly because a lot of donors are understanding the concept and coming to us and wanting help with this type of work. So I do think it's, yeah, starting to become known in New Zealand. Mm. That's good. Well, thank you so much for that overview. It's been really good. Um, and I see that Anika's put in how to register for that event she was mentioning before in the chat. So have a look at that. Um, and thank cool. you for your comment there, Marcus. Maybe we'll, I think there's might have been one other question. Um, there was a Andrew. question from Andrew. Yeah, I just yeah, didn't do you quite, didn't quite you... understand what you were getting at, Andrew. How do you get around that many grant organisations? Well, I know. Sorry, I'm not very good at writing it down. Um, I'm involved in small charities that often just apply to people like they trust grant um, for grants or lotteries or COGS and people like that. Yeah. They will only fund an organisation once. And it sounds, from what I understand, once a year, I mean, what I understand from what you're saying is that you are the granting, you are the one that makes the, the money comes to. How does the other person who's not registered actually break themselves out so that you could, you could, for example, go for four organisations and one granting person? Yeah, so you're talking about Gift Collective here when we're the fund holder. So how yeah. this works is um, because we are a fund holder or an auspicer, um, most of those grant makers make an exception for fund holders and auspices. So, for example, if we're getting DIA um, grants or lotteries grants, they will note that the gift collective is the fund holder, but the actual project, whatever it is, um, is the fund seeker. So they do have, make special allowances for this. So they okay. won't just give us one grant a year. They'll give us a number if our collectives 
uh, um, all applying. So generally, that's how it works with fund holders. I see Liz nodding there. I noticed that Liz had sent a message saying that Social Link also do fund holding or auspicing. Perhaps you might want to jump in, Liz. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. Yeah, the funders have been really good and understand they're funding two different things. Um, so um, we've been able to manage it that way. Yeah, so I think it's it's a concept um, now that, that grant makers are, are trying to get. And on the other side of the coin, as the gift trust, when we are making grants out on behalf of our donors, um, we don't have that rule. So if we have 10 donors in one year who want to gift to the same organisation, we make 10 grants. That's totally fine. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. This has been really insightful, Cheryl, and I think it sparked a lot of questions and um discussion in the chat and so that's a good thing <laughs> um, if anybody wants to reach out to you um, I'm assuming maybe we can share your email in the follow-up or something um, or your website so that people can click through and and they can find more and I know uh, in my dealings with you you've always been very accessible to talk about options or structures or like what does this mean so I'd encourage people to reach out if they do have further questions so that's awesome. Um, I'm going to finish the recording part of this because I said at the start, lots of people listen to this afterwards because they aren't able to join for the whole thing. Um, but I wanted to say thank you, everybody, for joining us. I'm going to send us to breakout rooms for anybody who wants to remain for a final little um, catch up with somebody maybe you haven't met before. That's just going to be like 10 minutes. Um, but I'm going to finish the recording part of this. So I did want to say um, the one other thing that I forgot to say at the beginning is I'm doing a series of uh, speaking at a series of events, which is really targeted at, at church groups in New Zealand. So that's going to be at the end of October through to early November in Christchurch, Wellington and Auckland. Um, and that's through a group called Christian Savings. And I'll just put in the chat a link to that. The, the, impetus behind it is that um, governance we all know is important and so this uh, it's going to be a day talking about particularly governance in a faith-based organization context which has its own unique dynamics um, and in the evening I'm going to be leading what we're calling a master class because it sounds better than just a class <laughs> and um, going to be giving some practical examples of of what is good governance conflicts of interest, how do you make decisions, lots of hopefully helpful material. So not that all of you would be interested in this or would be available to go, but you may know people in turn who would be interested in it. The cost is extremely low compared to a normal, you know, other organization type of event um, for the evening session. I think they priced it at $15. So Hopefully it's accessible. It may be of interest. So yeah. And then the final thing is um, once this is released, I will put it out as an audio. So it usually gets a few hundred people listening on Seeds podcast, which is my other little project. Um, there's now 325 interviews of inspiring people on that platform. So um, it's another tool, I guess, of hearing stories. Uh, yesterday's one was with Brianne West, who's the founder of, of Etique, which is a beauty brand, basically, but she's a very purpose-driven entrepreneur. So hearing her life story was really, um, yeah, I, I went away feeling very encouraged and inspired by it. So just encourage you to check out Seeds if you haven't done that. And once the um, event, uh, sorry, once this goes live, 
I'll put links and things. If you're willing to forward it to somebody else, say, hey, you should hear what Cheryl had to say about the gift trust. That helps spread the word because, um, yeah, I don't know the people that you know. <laughs> so it's all a bit of a, you know, liking and LinkedIn and sharing. It helps the word to get out that there's these discussions going on. And that the last thing is to say, if you know someone who'd like to join in, feel free to forward the emails that I send. Um, I get lots more people joining every time because somebody's forwarded it on to them. So thanks everybody for joining. I'm going to hit um, stop on the recording and then I'll send those who remain to breakout rooms. Thanks.